become word of God and dwell in our hearts to be the light of life. Amen. Please be seated. I have been working here for seven years before I noticed it. I'd just heard someone's confession here by the pulpit and it was deeply upsetting for them and distressing for me. And I'd gone downstairs to the chapel in the crypt underneath this cathedral to be quiet and to pray for that person. And as I turned to walk away from the chapel, I saw it on the floor in front of me. I'd walked over it on numerous occasions, but I'd just not seen it until a few months ago. There are many memorials in the crypt chapel downstairs in the floor. And in the middle is the tombstone of someone called Henry Millman, one of my predecessors who became dean of this cathedral in the mid 19th century and died in 1868. He was the first dean for over a hundred years who wasn't also a bishop somewhere else. He was a poet and an academic a professor of poetry at Oxford University who wrote and translated drama and verse, theology and history, and of the many hymns that he wrote, we still sing the Palm Sunday hymn, Ride On, Ride On in Majesty. But it wasn't the memorial to Henry Millman with its inlaid brass letters and fine marble that I noticed. It was the wording set into the floor around his tomb, words written in gray stone, so subtle I'd missed seeing them before. But because I'd been praying, I was present there, aware of the world around me, not doing something or hurrying on to somewhere else or taken up with my own thoughts. And so I was at last able to stop and look at what was there in front of me. Those words around Henry Millman's memorial are in memory of his wife, Mary. And nine of those words stopped me in my tracks because of their beauty and what they awoke. Apart from the facts of her birth, marriage and death, that inscription says of Mary Millman that she lies beneath this stone, buried in one grave with him for whom she made the poetry of life reality for whom she made the poetry of life reality. You may be wondering what this story has to do with being here on Christmas Day. The answer is everything. Because the Christmas story itself is about poetry becoming reality, about hope, becoming a person, about love 
becoming human and changing the world. And what we do together this morning is to get in touch with the deep magic of Christmas and find that magic to be true, a magic which changes us and those around us. When I was a young man, I went looking, as young men do, for reality, to answer the question why I'm alive and what that life and this world are for. And in the story of Jesus Christ, I found and still find the direction and the hope that sustains through good and bad times alike. Being a Christian isn't an easy answer to the world's problems or my own. Nothing genuine is ever easy, but it's an answer which sustains because it starts and ends in the love of God for us. Ever since I was looking in the school library and came across them, I've been a great fan of the books of J.R.R. Tolkien, particularly The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. You may have seen the films if you haven't read the book. I'd recommend the books over the films. But I've also read other works by Tolkien, and he wrote an essay in 1939 under the shadow of the Second World War called On Fairy Stories an essay which sets out his thinking on writing works of fantasy. Similar to Henry Millman in some ways, and very like his friend C.S. Lewis with his Narnia books, Tolkien was an Oxford professor of English. He was a devout Roman Catholic layman, and his philosophy of writing fitted with his faith. In his essay, Tolkien writes of the importance of joy, joy as the outcome of fairy tales. He coins the word eucatastrophe from the Greek word eu, meaning good, and catastrophe, meaning a sudden dramatic event, to describe how a story of struggle and pain can suddenly be turned into something good through a catastrophe, an event which evokes, and I quote him, a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. And Tolkien goes on, to apply this to the Christian story, to suggest that the Gospels contain a story which embraces all the essence of fairy stories, but yet is true. He says that the birth of Christ at Christmas is the good news event, the catastrophe of human history, and the resurrection of Jesus is the catastrophe of the story of incarnation. This story, he says, begins and ends in joy. And all the stories that we tell 
all of them that truly participate in God's creation can bring us to the one who is truth. And there will be a happy ending. And in the meantime, Tolkien says, the Christian still has to work, to suffer, hope, and die. But all his faculties have a purpose which can be redeemed. You and I live now in an age where science and technology are replacing God as objects of faith or even worship. Whether it's global warming or the Irish border, poverty or population movement, security or senility, salvation for our problems, so we're told to believe, will be found through technological advances, even though we're not a collection of problems to be solved. We are people seeking how to truly live. But science apparently tells us that we have no purpose and must make our own. And the things that really matter the things that sustain the human spirit, all that is beautiful and true and good, are in our brave new world subjected to the will of those with power within and outside our own communities, from the House of Commons to the trolls on Twitter. The Christmas story begins and ends in joy. It recalls us to faith in God, the God of justice, love, and truth. The God who holds to account the inadequate fantasies of ourselves and of those who have power over us. The Christmas story reminds us that joy is deeper than pleasure that people matter more than presence, that being a consumer is a contemptuous description of what it means to be a human being made for love in the image of God. The story of the word of God coming to birth as a human baby to live and suffer and die for the sake of the joy which was set before him, is a story which has inspired countless people before us and many who will come after us to stop worshiping power and to live instead of the joy of being loving and being loved. Jesus doesn't come at Christmas to solve our problems as the powerful and violent superhero of a modern fantasy film, but to be the vulnerable expression of God's goodness to us, full of grace and truth, sharing our lives and our deaths and our hopes with us, calling us to give our minds to poetry and our hearts to joy. It took me seven years to stop 
and see what had been under my feet all the time. So this Christmas, stop. Be quiet for a while. Take the risk of praying. Be still and be present to those around you. Look and see what you've been missing all these years and give your heart and your hope into the hands of the God we see in Jesus Christ. In the you catastrophe of Christmas, God turns the world upside down and gives us a glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. In Jesus, God makes the poetry of our lives reality.